I mean, some people have like it like all like laid out and stuff. I mean, I guess they're professionals, but we're not. <laughs> You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 333 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. Oh, that's a fun one, 333. Uh, just, you know, double that. We'll be at episode 666. Um, how you guys doing, Foz, Seth? Keeping <laughs> busting out that awesome math skills this, this afternoon. <laughs> I can I can add. So Or multiply by two. Did you add or multiply? I mean, this is a big question. Well, I mean, they both work, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. And we're off to a good start. This is what you get when you're married to a math teacher. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not even going to say anything. <laughs> uh, how you guys doing? Beachy. Mm-hmm. Can't really complain. Yeah, Seth, yeah, Seth's working on an outdoor table. It's for, done. It's finally done. It's gorgeous. You know, so we had, we had to get our, our woodworking update. <laughs> yeah. Now the table's done. Uh, built a sort of tchotchke hang, like, shelf unit for my sister-in-law because she wants it. And so whatever. Who am I to judge? Um, yeah. Are you yeah. are you selling the table? No, that table's sitting on my front porch now. Oh, okay. It's, gotcha. That's for me. Um we we screened in our front porch this summer or this spring. Uh, okay. We we tried to like one of those mesh tents last year in the backyard to keep yep. bugs off while we were eating outside, and it was mostly effective, but a little bit of a pain in the butt to get in and out with the zipper. And then we had one storm blew through and just threw it across the lawn like it was nothing. So uh, that that ended badly, and, hmm. and now we decided that it's unlikely that our front porch will blow away. So. We tried it, and then we were like, I was like, it wouldn't be that hard to just, like, put some windows around, like, the existing frame, but the mm-hmm. city thought otherwise. They told me I needed permits and all sorts of other stuff going on and, like, had to truly rebuild, basically, a room there, and that got to be annoying and expensive, more expensive than I wanted to be in a hurry, so we actually just bought a 50-foot roll of screen and cut to shape and put Velcro on it so it can go up for the summer and come down in the winter. And I like it. Yeah, yeah hopefully it'll last. We'll see. <laughs> it's been up for a grand total of, like, uh, three hours now that we're recording. <laughs> well, uh, isn't it funny, like, how dealing with city permitting is the, the bane of our existence? I was just shocked. That, I mean, that I bothered to ask. That was a little surprising to me. Uh, but also that they required one for that kind of work. And I sort of get it. I mean, I, I am closing in a space, but it was like a three-season room. It wasn't insulated. It wasn't changing electrical or plumbing or anything like that. But it was just structural enough that they wanted something. So Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, here, so we're thinking about putting a new fence in the backyard, which will probably go with something composite and not wood because the composite right now is cheaper than wood. Uh, <laughs> which is amazing. Yeah. And uh, I found out that you – anything over uh, – Seven feet, you have to permit, but it can only be a max of eight feet. So for that extra foot, you have to get a permit, but you can only max. Yeah, so I, I would be thinking that seven foot fencing is just fine. Yes, I, that's what we're going with. <laughs> do you need a permit for a moat? <laughs> Actually, for hedges, you do. Like if you're going to do like a decorin, uh, decorative hedging around to keep people, you know, sound and people from coming to the fence, you do, which I also find ridiculous. I also need a permit to tear down the trees that are in, considered an invasive species. Uh, but whatever. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about a- aviation. How about that? More government bureaucracy. <laughs> uh, just some quick follow-up. There was a comment on the video that uh, we put in the show notes. It was my video from Chicago O'Hare. Uh, someone left a comment on the video saying that the tug that's actually being used there is the wrong one for the 777. It, it can't push that amount of weight. And didn't it demonstrate that when, in fact, it couldn't push that amount of weight? Ex- exactly. So. <laughs> It did look like a small tug. I, I don't know the details, but yeah, they, I think it was like ten thousand pounds. Uh, it, it it can only push ten thousand pounds less than the triple seven. 
as a max. And it was probably, you know, beating up the gearbox trying to yeah. push the, the triple seven. So thanks for the comment. Uh, I think it was Dustin left the comment. I'm not hundred percent sure, but um, Seth, more max issues. Yeah, it's exciting. Uh, the, <laughs> the electrical ground issues, uh, right? So the, it's not all of the Maxon have been regrounded, but, and this is a weird use of ground and ground, I guess. Sorry. Um, a couple weeks ago now, Boeing acknowledged that there was a problem with electrical ground pathways in newer builds. And I think it came down to they switched from rivets to screws or vice versa mm-hmm. in holding some of the components together on the flight deck. And that changed like how it was secured and where the electrical grounding, I guess, passed through that and something, something. I don't have all the details, uh, but it was bad. And there was a risk of a short, uh, either messing up the computers or otherwise uh, breaking things on the flight deck. And so the company notified all the airlines flying those aircraft and told them to stop flying them. And so a subset, and it was newer builds or builds that happened after the initial grounding related to the crashes. So it was, you know, so older white tails that had already been, or not white tails, older undelivered planes that had already been built or planes that weren't, uh, you know, whatever, that were waiting, weren't necessarily affected. But a lot of these newer ones, all the newer build deliveries have been affected. And so it's Hmm. an interesting split. But now these newer planes, uh, not only are they grounded because of this, the FAA put out a airworthiness airworthiness directive basically saying we expect it's going to take a couple hours to fix this is what's going on here's like sort of laying the framework for what the resolution is going to be but also acknowledge that it was still waiting on boeing to get it the final paperwork of like what the fix is going to be (laughs) so that was another sort of cart before the horse interesting situation but then it now sounds like boeing is going back or excuse me the faa is going back and saying why don't you double check that really nothing else is going to be affected and get us a list of all the parts not just the ones that you knew of uh, that might have uh, electrical impulse sort of ground pathways affected by this. And so it's you know not going to, well, we don't know if it will or won't, but I think it's just slowing down the recovery process in terms of getting a list of like what, what the airlines need to do to get these planes back into service. Wow. Are they are they actually so I mean they've delivered some of these right because like I've oh, yeah. seen there's a United plane that's stuck here at PDX yeah, so uh, there's a couple of the last 150 ones. I think out yeah. in the world yeah so it was interesting when I was out at PDX I saw them parked out there with the engines covered and kind of just you know parked yeah. away from everything um, one of them I think an Alaska one got ferried the other day hmm. okay. so there must be some special dispensation for that sort of thing went to Oklahoma yeah. City of all places I think maybe it's where they have a maintenance base right I would assume that's why it went there but. That's where uh, doesn't AA do something there too? They do some. That's Tulsa. Oh, Tulsa. Okay, that's American has a huge MRO facility in Tulsa. I think it's like the biggest in the world. Yeah, interesting. Maybe they're getting ready to ferry. Maybe they're getting ready to start flights from Oklahoma City with this new uh, (laughs) Max. Um, Yeah. So I mean, on top of this, United is getting some Max eights. So this is something I actually sort of reported this a while ago, indicating that it was probable, but the company never confirmed it until last week, acknowledging that apparently they picked up some Whitetail Max 8s, um, Whitetail meaning uh, planes that were previously built in order or ordered and then built for a specific airline, and then that airline decided not to take them up. Um, I'm not sure who United, but it, meant, it means they didn't get them much faster. And mm. United seems keen as the recovery progresses to get these newer planes and potentially retire some older ones i'm gonna be curious to see what they retire yeah. as part of this right they because they also said that they're going to be upgrading the ife system on some of the older 737s uh i'm assuming it's like the live tv planes that have the screen still they're getting avod uh video on demand you know real ife on board and keeping screens as part of that retrofit i'm wondering if this means some uh 319s or 320s go away hmm. Didn't they just- and the company switches more towards boeing again 
I mean, it's possible. I think some of the 319s and 320s are newer than some of the older 737s, right? When you think about some of the original 8s, they were delivered in 98? Yes. So it might be, I mean, the 319s and 320s are generally newer than that. And didn't some of the 319s come from one of the Chinese carriers? Yes. Southern, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's an interesting development. I, <clears throat> like, I know that they've been keen on, you know, they've upgraded the, or updated the 737Gs, the 73Gs, right? Um, and that's what they're using on some of the hot and high stuff. Um, but they also have, don't they have, like, max gross weight 737-800s that they can use on that, that kind of stuff? You mean that, SFP, like the short field yeah, performance? Yeah, that's the ones I meant. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So they have you want, those. You want them lighter, not heavier? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, they, do ha- they definitely have some with the uh, short field performance kit, which gives them, I guess, an engine boost and maybe something in the brakes uh, to help them get off, you know, if the case they had to stop, um, but helps them uh, operate uh, tighter airports. Yeah. I'm just I'm just wondering, like, what's the what's the goal, right? They, they don't need to add planes just for the sake of adding planes. They, they're going to, like you said, they have to get rid of something. It doesn't make sense to just keep a bunch of jets that they're not going to fly. Any thoughts, Foz? I mean, if they're cheap enough, why not stock up? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> if you're already paying for the storage, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't be surprised if they start phasing out some of the 738s, right? They pro- pro- a bunch of them are probably coming up for C&D checks, and it probably is cheaper to replace them rather than go through the C&D checks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and didn't we go through the valuations a while ago? I, I guess. I mean, I know we did, but I don't remember. Did, were there single aisles in those leaseback or the... Not these facts, but in the uh, the bond issues where right where we didn't they have like seven fifty sevens or seven sixty sevens that they were saying were only worth like two million dollars? Yes. So I don't remember if the seven thirty sevens were in that list or not. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember the details. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's interesting to me. Um, I think really what it comes down to is just a, a bigger, bigger push towards getting only or moving more towards Boeing or mm. staying in the Boeing world. Um, like, didn't the was it the A319 additional use planes got canceled also? Thought so, yeah. They're not taking them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was another. What, what do you think, like, is moving more towards Boeing, right? I mean, they've, they don't have, the only Airbus in the fleet, the, the only Airbuses in the fleet are really the 319s and 320s. Everything else is Boeing, except for their contracts with, you know, the. They do have some 321s and three, LRs and 350s in theory on order. Yeah. But what are the odds of them taking it? I, that's kind of where I was going. It's like, what are the odds? Because like they don't have a 757 replacement really. Um, they talked about the Max 10 being that and putting lie flat seats for transcons. And, that's for transcons, yep. Um, but they don't have transatlantic. You know, uh, wasn't that the 321 order though? Yeah, the 321 LR was supposed to handle the transatlantic. Oh, really? Markets, yeah. Mm. And it, that's it's an interesting. Obviously, the plane can do it. It can do it pretty well. Uh, I still wonder. In some, and I know that the 321LR is a much lighter plane and has great capabilities. I just wonder, I still am pissed that there's not a lighter, shorter range 787-8, like a mm. like the Dash 3 cap, uh, what was supposed to be, with the, uh, like a fewer fuel tanks and lighter max gross weight. And it would have been perfect for the 5,000-mile range trips that or 4,000-mile range trips that you know, the short transatlantic stuff needed and would have been a way more comfortable, way nicer experience than That's the, the 321s, yeah. I mean, the 321s, you look at the JetBlue configuration, um, and United has XLR, not just the LR, uh, but the, the configuration is on JetBlue is 24 business class seats, and that gets you all the way to the exit row. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's basically what the 763 Hi-J is, too, right? It's business all the way to the exit row, or premium economy, maybe Pretty a much, couple yeah. rows to get you there, yeah. to the window. Um, 
window over wing exit or windows uh, there. But like it's so it's the same idea. It's just it's a smaller plane. It has fewer seats, and so JetBlue is doing one hundred and thirty-eight, I think. Hmm. So it's not a ton of people. It's not a ton of people on the plane. Yeah, but maybe not even that many. It's yeah. I mean, it's it's a very it's a it's funny. It's actually JetBlue has fewer seats on its transatlantic planes than it does on its A two twenties. Just think about that for a sec. And it's because the, the mint suites are huge, and there's a lot of them. But it's it's a real interesting commentary on the market. Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of, kind of. I mean, this is kind of along the same lines, right? Delta has announced they're going to go to Dubrovnik as well this summer, um, and they're going to upgrade uh, Premium Y on their A330s and 763s. Now, I'm surprised about the 763s. We'll talk about Dubrovnik in a minute. I'm surprised about the 763s because I thought they were getting rid of them. Yep. Did they did they change their mind? Well, they're not upgrading the business class seats on either of those planes, so take that as a hint. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my guess is that the premium economy seats are cheap enough and reusable enough. Right? They come in twos and threes, and any plane that they put them on is going to use them in twos and threes. Yep. That they can buy them now, use them now, get that yield premium from uh, having the better product on board for these services, and then at some point in the not-too-distant future when those planes are retired, move the seats over to a different aircraft. Gotcha. Or have spares or whatever the it is, but uh, not be nearly as uh, challenged in spending money and then reusing them as the business class seats would be. But like you know, if it's in five years or four years that they retire them, who knows if it's even will still be, would still be the D one suites or whatever. Maybe there'll be another different product by then. So hmm. I just I, the reason I bring it up is you know it, Tokyo, London, um, we're both out of Portland. We're both seven six threes. Um, and all news is local, man. Right? Yeah, yeah, back exactly. to Portland every time. And, and, well, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to relate this to the stuff I know. It's not like I haven't, le- I haven't left my house, you know, in quite a while. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so, what, but what is interesting to me though is that as they've announced, you know, Seoul, uh, Portland, Seoul, and they're going to restart London at some point, and they're at Tokyo is moving to Haneda. All the, all three of those routes are going to the 330. Um, and not the 763s. So I'm, I wonder where they're putting the 763s. Is it back in Seattle on some of those long-haul routes, or do we know, or have they said? A lot of the 763s are out of – go to Europe, right? Out of New York and Atlanta. Mm. That's, where, that's where a lot of them have been. And they do a lot of the Transcon routes with them. Yeah, what's super interesting to me, I mean, among other things, you know, choosing to do – like I said, choosing to only do premium economy – and they're updating the, the bathrooms and, like, putting mood lighting in and whatever. Uh, but even while they're doing it, they aren't guaranteeing that the – and it's the 763s go first and the 330s start in July. I think the first 763 is in right now um, or will be very soon for its retrofit. They're not prioritizing necessary specific routes to get them that I can tell. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, which is is a little surprising to me in terms of figuring out, like, this Dubrovnik route is going to fly on the 763 and four days a week. And I'm looking through the end of the summer. They're not selling a – they're not selling a not comfort plus it's a premium select seat yet, and and that's are they doing so? Let's talk about Dubrovnik. Are they doing JFK Dubrovnik? Is that yeah? Okay, and so uh, like, but that's one of the right now handful of routes that are going to be operating transatlantic that are guaranteed. And like you, I would have thought that the company would have gone out of its way to put the premium economy seats in these markets where it knows it's going to have sales. Yeah. To be fair, United's flying an old non high J seven six three to Dubrovnik too. Does the, even non-high J have premium economy or no? No. But, I mean, that just means that's the default C-map. That doesn't mean that it's going to stick to that. You think so? A lot of the play, a lot of the flights that get loaded with the old non-high J will actually get swapped. 
Oh, interesting. On a regular basis. I mean, they could if they see the J demand. I mean, that's, it's easier to switch to add more J and remove economy seats than the other way around just because of what people typically buy. Well, but, it's the same number of J seats on the new and the old config unless you talk about the high J. Right, it's just the only. No, you're talking about low J, low J, but with premium select. Exactly. Or, sorry, you call it something else. Yeah. Yeah, What's yeah. United call it? Uh, plus something plus premium, premium plus. plus premium plus. Sorry, stupid. Think, you think we know what we, you think we we know what we're talking about? That's an economy we have, we have, product. <laughs> yeah, it's economy. Um, it's, it's premium economy. It's not economy plus. It's not comfort plus. It's <laughs> <laughs> branding, man. Oh, it sucks. Yeah, I mean, I think. You know, I was just randomly looking at Dubrovnik just as potentially going. Um, we yeah. talked about this before. Um, and one, Dubrovnik is not cheap in the summer as a city. Uh, Especially knowing that it's like one of only eight places in Europe open to Americans right now. You know, they like, oh, yeah, you know, so people there are going Scrooge McDuck with their eyes, like seeing the money coming in. Yeah, yeah. And I, I have friends that live in Split, and Split's cheaper, but not by a lot. Yeah. Um, and so I was thinking about going to Split and then coming out of Dubrovnik. Um, it's, it's just... Uh, Cost-wise, I mean, the, the economy fares are about the same price as the business class fares to Dubrovnik. If you're looking, to our listeners, you're, you're going to pay like a $200 premium to sit in business, which I think is insane. But Because economy is so expensive, not because yeah. business is too expensive. Yeah, not because – hey, that's, that's $200 well spent in my brain. Exa- exactly. So I'm just telling our listeners, if you're looking, keep your eyes out. But that's while the cheap inventory is there, right? They're not going to presumably sell all of it at that price. I hope not. I mean, I, I'm, that's why I'm thinking I'm going to buy mine soon. <laughs> Got to be able to cancel it at some point. <laughs> See, look, I took care of y'all. I did y'all's job for you. Wow, you beat us to it. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway. <laughs> Avello. My life easy. Yeah. Avello uh, is going to be flying to New Haven. I actually, I'll admit, I'll be the first to admit, I did not know what New Haven's airport code was. HVN. I had no idea when you put this in the show notes, Seth. Um, and I, I really am surprised they're putting a hub there. So they're hubbed in Burbank, and they're opening a hub in New Haven. That's pretty much the gist, uh, the gist of it. Yeah, the Burbank, they placed three planes out there, uh, started operations earlier in late April, early May. I don't remember which day it was anymore. Um, <laughs> it all sort of blends. Uh, and it was a 738. They have three of them. They're lovely. Uh, New Haven has a 5,600-foot runway, mm. which is very short for those who are keeping track at home, um, and historically has actually not really been able to support reasonable operations by A320 family or E190 family aircraft, among other challenges, because of that short runway. Uh, turns out the 73G, as we were talking about earlier, can handle it just fine. So the 737-700 will be added to the Avello fleet. They'll put three of them in New Haven. And what's interesting about this one to me is it was sort of tipped as likely a couple months ago when... All the, all, like 80 or 100 different airports around the country applied for what's the Small Community Air Services Development Program, which is an FAA or DOT program where basically the government gives funding to small airports to help them attract new service. And the idea is, you know, you get up to two years worth of subsidy money from the feds to help, you know, basically offer minimum uh, revenue guarantees to airlines or some air- some airports just want some extra advertising dollars and they don't promise it to any airlines and they just hope it's going to work well in the broader mm-hmm. sense. But these uh, these programs are how really are how, you know, a lot of small airports manage to fund uh, growth and guarantee revenues to airlines. So New Haven asked for eight hundred thousand dollars. 
as part of a $1.2 million program to attract one or more new low-cost carriers. And they specifically named Avello and Breeze in the application. They actually named Extra, which is the certificate Avello bought, which is I, I always find a little interesting. Um, this, I don't know if they were trying to hide it or it was just that was the name of the actual company at the time, and Avello didn't have the branding figured out before <laughs> they wrote the letter or what. But uh, that $1.2 million is exactly how much Avello said it's going to invest in its operations at New Haven. So, uh, and the federal money isn't guaranteed yet. So that that's a little interesting and amusing to me as well. But um, it's it will be interesting for me to me to see how this really all plays out. But there's a, a lot going on. They haven't announced markets. Um, my rough math on the aircraft performance and that runway length and how heavy it will be depending on if it's you know how much fuel it can carry based on everything else says it's like three and a half ish hour flights are about as far as it can go okay so that's florida um maybe you get a little further than that um maybe like as far uh as chicago is only probably an hour and a half two hours so and what's really interesting is actually the because of this uh development program grant application, there's a ton of data from the airport authority on why it thinks it should have more service. And the D.C. area, including Baltimore and Chicago uh, area, are two of the top 10 markets in terms of daily passenger, you know, PDUs, passengers daily each way, which is how markets are sort of uh, tracked in airline world. Yeah. And they have explicitly said that they're looking to try to get um, either American Airlines to add Chicago and DC or get someone else to fly it as a just standalone market because it's it has the it has the demand for standalone service even without figuring connecting travelers mm. in normal times. So of course, right now no one knows what the hell demand is going to be and what's going to come back when and where. But you got Yale University, a lot of research, a lot of other travel that's associated with it. So there, it's an, it, there's just some really interesting data in terms of like how many passengers they think they can pick up and things like that. So I mean, Avello could do really well, right? Out of out of New Haven. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously why they're showing up. Yeah, well, I mean, they could do really well just from the case of if, if they fly to, say, Florida or Chicago or even Dulles or D.C. like Or BWI. BWI. Like, they could do it, really well. That seems to be the argument that the city, you know, that the airport authority is making. Like they, It was really surprising to me. I, I actually guessed wrong as I was sort of reading through the documents and sort of seeing where they were going and, fig, you know, trying to read ahead in my brain of where it was going to go. So the uh, catchment area around, you know, within a 60-mile drive, which is basically all of Connecticut, um, and maybe tips a tiny bit into uh, New York, is like 5.5 million people. Mm. Of the uh, total departures out of, of the people, you know, all those people who fly, um, it's not 5.5 million, but whatever, the total number of sort of departures that those, that the catchment area takes, what percentage would you guess go out of New Haven as opposed to other airports? (sighs) Maybe... Maybe a percent, yeah, one percent. It's just under one percent because there was just no service. It was U.S. Air to Philly, and then Charlotte just had been added before the pandemic and has gone again. Um, but more than fifty percent go to New York City. They don't even go wow. to Hartford, Bradley. Wow. Um, that Bradley is, you know, I think is the next in line. But the if you combine the three New York City airports, that's where most people go from. And that Wait, was what was really surprising to me. How many of them go to Westchester, though? Not as many. Uh, let me see if I have the data here. But Westchester is not an easy drive, though, right? Well, from the population center of Connecticut, Westchester, like most of it's between Westchester and New Haven. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, but it, it's not a super easy drive, um, just because it's there's not like a highway that just goes straight there. Like you don't just hop on ninety five and get there. You gotta. Um, you can take the merit. Yeah. Uh, here we go. Here we go. New Haven gets less than one percent. Islip gets less than one percent. I guess people take the ferry across. Providence is four percent. White Plains is five. Logan is six. Newark is thirteen. JFK is eighteen. Laguardia is twenty three, and Bradley's twenty nine. So Bradley is still the uh, highest number, but combined, the New York City three are more than half, hmm. and almost double Bradley. It's just it was real interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. Wow, fascinating. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, basically, the the other thing about that is that because so few people are already were using you know flying locally, anyways, you fly these seven three Gs like two turns a day, five days a week. There's three of them. Like the even if you put 150, 160 seats on board, which is about as many as you can get before it's done, um, you're really not talking about that many passengers total. Yeah. Right. If you're maybe talking about 500 passengers a day. Like that, that, or even a thousand a day is, it, well, maybe a thousand is too many, but, uh, you know, like just the total number of people that you're drawing away from the other markets is really low. So I, I, my, my theory on that is with, you know, strategic selective day of week service, which is what Abella is looking at for most of its initial routes, you could basically pick up all those passengers or a lot of the VFR and leisure travelers, uh, visiting friends and relatives and leisure travelers, and not even put a dent in all the other uh, markets that are otherwise served in the region. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's funny. I just looked at the New Haven Airport. It's it's a single gate. Um. <laughs> so part of this is also they're going to they, there's going to be an investment in extending the runway and building a looks like a four gate terminal. Okay. Okay. But I mean, still, it, yeah, looks like it, kind of, it looks like the kind of airport that, you know, you could be through, you could show up about 20 minutes before your flight leaves and be just fine. <laughs> yeah. So if they're extending the runway, will they start doing New Haven to Burbank? <laughs> I don't think so. Well, yeah, yeah, it was a real consideration. I think it's not extending it that much. It's only a couple hundred feet. Um, yeah. They've got a little bit, they got a little bit on the south end. They could probably. It's really, it. yeah. And it was, there was a huge lawsuit over whether they would even be allowed to extend it or not. And eventually they won a court case that said they can. Of course, because the people who built their house there, you know, are like, we knew there was an airport here, but <laughs> we bought our house anyway. <laughs> um, pretty much. Yeah. It's a real, it, it, I just, I think this is a super interesting one. It's also the part where, I mean, we don't know what uh, Breeze is going to do yet, but the part where it was also mentioned in the filings, like I would be shocked if both tried to compete from there. Right, going from nothing to all of a sudden having two different airlines trying to both have a hub would be mm-hmm. kind of crazy. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's. I, mean, I think it'll end up being a cute airport, uh, similar to Painfield, just in like terms of size, size. Still, still very nice, but compact. And even just looking at the renderings, it looks like a Painfield almost. Oh, um, nice. So, um, and, and I'm looking forward to having an opportunity to fly out of there again. I think you know, I flew in four times, but only have ever arrived in New Haven, and so I'd like to depart once. How far are you from New Haven? Is that oh, not two hours? convenient. Yeah. <laughs> not, not, <laughs> this will have not, to be a special trip. Uh, um, I was going to say also with with New Haven getting service, right, like this in Breeze, we're going we're gonna to talk about Breeze a little bit in the after show in, uh, in the bonus. Um, but with New Haven getting, is, is there potential, some of the, were there other airports that won this money or was it only New Haven? So this isn't even the money uh, yet. And that's that's the real interesting part. Um, those groups, those uh, development grants have not been uh, issued as far as I know. Mm, gotcha. OK. So we don't know who else is going to get it. Potentially there's another airport. that could Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. and typically a lot of them get it. Um, I, I expect that, uh, you know, 
many, many uh, companies, many, many cities will get this. I want to say the total applied for was under $100 million. I would guess that more than half get what they asked for. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm three hours from Tweed, Jeeves. Ooh, that's, that's a drive. Yeah, I'm going to have to come up with a real good excuse to make that trip. Yeah, I mean, you just, you got what you got to do is you just got to buy an airplane. You don't need a new car, just an airplane. <laughs> you got to find someone local up here that wants to make the trip to Tweed <laughs> just for fun, and I can fly, you know, general aviation and make that hop. For a little, for a little $100 hamburger. There you go. There you go. And then accidentally, <laughs> get, out, accidentally get out there and just fly onward. But, you know, I can't pay someone to fly me there because then that would be illegal. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's been a couple of passings, a couple of deaths in the aviation world. So Bernard Ziegler, uh, the man who pretty much uh, invented fly-by-wire for Airbus, he, he passed uh, just recently. Yeah, that's um, – and he was literally like developed had, – had the idea, had the concept, made it happen for commercial aircraft. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a big deal when Airbus itself issued a press release. Yeah. With I a mean, sort of – it's it's it was a huge change, right? That lightened the the amount of weight airplanes needed to you know for control surfaces and just using servos and electronics to do it um, instead of literally cables. Yeah, instead of cables going through the aircraft, but, you know, huge innovation. Um, and then the other is Helmut Jan, um, and he's the architect who was responsible for United's terminal at Chicago O'Hare and the new Bangkok airport, which I've never I've never flown into New Bangkok, so I, I can't speak. Really? To it, but yeah, never have. You've never been to Bangkok? No. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's actually it's a funny one. There was there was something that one day it is a very distinctive, very um, notable design, and it's it's actually is pretty gorgeous. But even like I showed there was something on Twitter a long time ago now, but like with a picture, I was like, "Can you name this airport?" And I showed it to my wife, and even she was like, "Yeah, I've been there. That one's Bangkok." Like she, it's it's that distinct, it's that distinctive of a terminal design. So yeah, yeah. I thought that was interesting. Sad, Uh, sad to lose such. Yeah, and actually, uh, his was even more tragic. He was hit by he was on a bike ride and was hit by a car. In the western Chicago suburbs, so awful. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I was. I'm just looking at Bangkok. Man, it is. It one. It's a huge airport, and yeah. two. It is. The inside is is gorgeous. Yeah, and very distinct, like you said. Um, what else we got? Air Senegal, the carrier you didn't think you'd be talking about long haul, has announced they're going to be flying to uh, JFK and Dulles. Listen, man. They bought. Uh, they bought themselves some A330 Neos. It's time to put put them to use. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the, when is this supposed to happen? This year? Yeah, later this year. The part that they got approved by the DOT for, you know, to be a foreign carrier a month ago or so. And the news came across that they got uh, started planning the route. Uh, two things about it that are interesting. One is they're going to do a JFK to Dulles tag flight. Oh, wow. It's not Fifth, it's not fifth Freedom because they can't carry any local traffic and it wouldn't be Fifth Freedom even if it was. Uh, I think that'd be seventh or eighth. But, um,. Yeah, it'd be cabotage. So they can't carry the local traffic, but they apparently think they're going to extend it to Dulles. Um, and what's even more interesting to me about it is Air Senegal is not allowed to fly to the United States. Hmm. Air Senegal is allowed to market flights to the United States so long as they are operated under wet lease or charter terms by a different carrier who is allowed to operate flights to the United States. That's and this is basically a commentary on uh, operational safety and everything else at uh, Senegal or Air Senegal. That they, have, they basically warm have to let someone else. Yeah, they have to let someone else handle all the operations if they're allowed to. If they want to show up, um, do they have that bad of a safety record? I, I don't know offhand, um, huh. but apparently, um, <laughs> what what's also super interesting to me about it is they are using, uh, it, but they're still using their three thirty Neo. They took one of their three thirty Neos and basically gave it to High Fly to operate on Air Senegal's behalf. <laughs> So it's Air Senegal painted, it's the Air Senegal interior, it's the Air Senegal everything, but it's operated by HiFly, which is the, what, Malta-based 
uh, charter operator. They were the ones that took the Singapore A380 and tried to fly it for a couple of years there. And I'm, they're su- known I'm, su- for- I'm surprised Highfly would take that contract. I mean, they're known to shove more seats in a plane than is comfortable and try and put. Yeah, I, I would assume that this is one where the it's you know at a fixed price or whatever the operating costs are, and they don't have any uh, P and L for how many seats are sold. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, so it doesn't matter in that sense. Um, but. Yeah, it's it was just a super interesting uh, collection to me of the, the part, especially the part where they can't um, fly it themselves. Well, and so Delta already flies JFK Dakar um, currently, um, and I don't think that one connects. In, I don't think that one keeps going because they fly another one to uh, where else do they fly? Is it? I thought they did Atlanta as well. Yeah, it might be Atlanta, and then they also have Accra, uh, Ghana, where they fly. So, I mean, I. They're going to be competing with Air Senegal on this. Um, does Delta actually fly it or is it just listed? No, no, they fly it. it I see it operating. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, I just wonder, is there that much traffic between Senegal and New York? I guess. Probably. Right now, I can't imagine there is. But Well, South Africa's not flying Dallas-Dakar anymore, right? So there's probably some of that traffic. That, that's now not getting picked up. Yeah. Yeah. And that Dude, basically uh, connects the – it basically connects all of Western Africa, right? Like the – yeah, I mean, Ethiopian was doing its hops via Accra and Lome, right? Yeah, in Lome, yeah. I think I went via Lome. There was one other. I don't know if it was Accra or Dakar that it did also. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there there is theoretically some traffic there. It'll be interesting to see, like everything else, what comes back. Um, yeah. Yeah. Can I can I get a call back to our discussion of the 763s with premium economy earlier? Sure. I went and pulled up some data from uh, timetables. Uh, Delta's got them on Madrid, Athens, um, Boston to Dublin some days, JFK to Keflavik some days, uh, Lisbon, Venice. It's it's a weird mix of routes that it's published on, um, just not Dubrovnik. Uh, Stuttgart <laughs> is STR, right? Yeah, Stuttgart. Yeah. So, from Atlanta. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting where they're putting those planes, and it's not all season. But actually, it is. Like, Boston to Dublin is all summer from July 8th, in theory, has premium economy. Oh, wow. Yeah. Not that I think I'll be going, but. Yeah. Um, let's see. What else we got? Oh, a, a child uh, went into the baggage system at Minneapolis-St. Paul. Yes. Living at everyone's favorite dream. <laughs> or worse. And, 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 and nightmare <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> It depends yeah. on the airline, right? It'll determine <laughs> if you get lost or not. Yeah. Was, and the kid was, I'm assuming the kid the kid was is fine. Child. Yeah, I think it was like the story is that there was like a family of 20 checking in for a flight and everybody was like, it literally was sort of like home, uh, home alone-ish. Just too many people and too much chaos going on. And the kid wandered over and like, oh, what's under here? And like went down the ramp or on, under the belt and went down into the belly of the system. Jeez. Which I've been down there and seen some of those things. There's like bumpers that move bags and stuff. They're not gentle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to hope that he didn't get hit by one of those, or he would not. He almost certainly would not be uh, have come out of it as just fine. But did they have to shut down the system to get him out, or did someone down there just grab him off the? the- and they said they found him in under five minutes. Um, oh, okay, I didn't. I didn't read too much more into the details. I just think it's hysterical. Well, he probably got kicked out of the system pretty quickly because he didn't have a tag on him. <laughs> You'd hope. <laughs> Send him straight to the lost baggage chute. Yeah. <laughs> Which is in the baggage claim office. Yeah. No, yeah. I, thought it just, I thought it just went to an incinerator. Um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's not secure. We'll just burn it. Um, I will say when someone commented on when I posted that on Twitter, someone shared that they used to work uh, baggage service and used to like had a system like that and would get in the big plastic bins and like ride from time to time after hours. So I think that's pretty funny. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, UK's green list of places. Uh, People can't visit. <laughs> so the UK published a list, right? A dozen people... or so countries that you can visit without yep. requiring quarantine on return. 
So give us green. give us an example. Give us an example. Uh, Saint Helena. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> uh, the the Georgia Islands in the South Atlantic. <laughs> uh, Australia, New Zealand. Okay. Which won't you know? Australia, New Zealand aren't allowing inbound international travelers like that, so not so helpful. Uh, I think Singapore made it. Israel, Iceland, Portugal. Portugal is basically like everybody from the UK is going to go to Portugal. Is, is what it's come down to. Um, some will probably go to Iceland also, but Portugal is going to be uh, very British this summer. Portugal's going to make make out like a bandit. Good for them. I hope so. I mean, I've got to see how it all works out in the end. And uh, there are more. Uh, they, they said that there'll be an additional. You know, in three weeks they'll revisit. What's What's hard right now, I think, for a lot of people is that the, it's not entirely clear what the data being used is and like how they're making the decision. Mm-hmm. But it's it's what it is. Um, there were a lot of people surprised and disappointed that the United States didn't make the list, I think. Uh, one comment I saw today was someone asking us on the podcast, actually, Twitter account, about if it was, you know, if, it, you know, we believed it was tied to Border Patrol not having enough capacity and the U.S. being too high demand a market, right? Like, if the U.S. opened up with that, would the number of people willing who wanted to travel to the U.S. just out, you know, strip all of the other traffic volume and make it too hard for the UK border force to keep up. And you've seen the stories from Heathrow of like six hour lines to get back into the country and things like that. So I don't know. I'm, I'm not as convinced about that. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know that it'd be overwhelming to get into the United States. I do think, I mean, it's something they're going to have to start considering and hiring but, people. Yeah, and I think to, it'll happen eventually. I also like, I just don't think the U S is actually quite as far along in vaccinations to justify yeah. it being a green country for, you know, not requiring testing and quarantine on return. Um, I think I just like when I think about like, okay, yes, there are bigger planes that fly to the U.S. than fly, you know, to Portugal generally. But you're going to start seeing like 737s and A320s and 321s from every dirt strip in across the U.K. going to every dirt strip in Portugal this summer. It's not just going to be a few flights from Heathrow to Lisbon. It's going to be everything and i feel Porto, like yeah well yeah but like and uh, i think the uh island the the islands get included pharaoh uh down on the mm-hmm. south coast um and then it's not just gonna be london right you're gonna see it from manchester you're gonna see it from uh i'm sure like bristol and east midlands and all of those airports you know the twoies and ryanairs and easy jets of the world are gonna backfill as much capacity as they can because that's where people can go yeah I do wonder if they're going to hit a uh, limit on sort of hotel rooms at some point. This has been a big challenge for tourism in a lot of places. Like, you know, what's well, I don't know what it's going to be like th- this summer by me when Portland, Maine's got all these extra flights. It doesn't have a huge popula- like hotel room population. Yep. Time to Airbnb your house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I need somewhere to stay. Uh, <laughs> but, you have a Subaru, yeah, be, right? You have a Subaru. Yeah. You can just put a bed in the back of that. You'd be fine. Well, we're going camping for Memorial Day. I think I just keep the tent and sleep out in the yard. That's, that's. I mean, my wife wouldn't do it, but I think Linnea, we'd be just fine with that. <laughs> we did the car camping, sleep in the back of the car thing when we were in Iceland a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I've been yeah. told that that's not a good plan to repeat. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. No, she actually she, she actually really did enjoy it. I didn't mind it that much either. We when we did it, I booked the small car, and it was basically a minivan with no seats in the back and a mattress uh, instead. And it just we needed like the one size bigger. We're tall people, and it was like getting in and out of the van with sort of we put the luggage on the front seats when you sleep, and you put the luggage in the back seats when you're driving. But there's like a cabinet cupboard system built in at the in the back mm-hmm. that holds all your pots and pans and cooking supplies and everything else. It's actually very well done, very efficient design, but like crawling in and out under that was awkward. 
I think I think Iceland's the one place where I would probably enjoy it the most, just with the system of like uh, it's got great campground system. Yeah, the campgrounds like where you can get a shower and bathrooms and stuff, and it's kind of like set up for that. You just pay a little fee for that. Yeah, it was, it was ten to twenty bucks a night, ten to twenty euros yeah, a night just, for fine. for that. And some of them charge extra for showers. Um, a few of them had like a pub in the place where you could get really bad pizza or cold beer. More importantly, um, <laughs> we did when we did it. We had a we got a grill charcoal grill from the car place. Like we picked up the, we picked the option that also included the grill. Um, and between the pots and pans they had, and then like went to grocery stores and a cooler was in the, included. And so you went to a grocery store and you picked up like two days worth of food at a time. It stayed fresh. And I think we ate like Kings. Like we, we had a great time. I would, I loved every evening at like, you know, eight o'clock when it's still broad daylight. Cause we were there in the middle of the summer, lighten up the grill, dipping into my, uh, duty free jug of vodka. <laughs> and, uh, we had a, I had a great time, like grilling langoustines, which when we were on the east coast, where the southeast, where they're famous for the langoustines, instead of going out to a restaurant, we did go to a restaurant one night and had them there. But the next night we went to the grocery store and just got a pack of langoustines from the grocery store and like thawed them, grilled them, had a bucket of drawn butter that we dipped them in because we had a little pot and we had a block of butter. It was actually, that was the hardest part is we wanted like a stick of butter to melt for them. And the smallest thing we could buy was a kilo of butter. <laughs> and this two pound block of butter that we just, we kept it. It was fine. And like, I think when we got to the end of the trip, we'd used maybe a stick worth of it. And we're like, and you go, but you get back to the camp or to the car place and you return stuff. And like, and there's a, a table for like stuff that, you know, to return and stuff to take, you know, have a penny, leave a penny kind of thing. And so we like, I think I put the block of butter on the counter and just walked out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want, you know, you're talking about run on hotel rooms. So that brings up a good point. I wonder how much of the run there's going to be in like uh, in Iceland for uh, these types, you know, the camping vehicles yeah. and stuff. Because so the- far, Iceland's pretty quiet, it seems. Mm. Um, uh, what's his name? Andy Luton is back again this weekend. Uh, he was there a couple weeks ago as well. I mean, it's still a little early season, but his pictures are showing it real empty. Interesting. Maybe I'll have to buy, buy a ticket. Yeah, something else to return. Um, the the uh, I think part of it is limited uh, flights right now. The yeah. U.S. carriers haven't started loading theirs really yet, um, or maybe they have. I think he flew Delta this time. He flew Air, he flew Iceland there last time, so um, it's it's slowly picking back up. But again, you got to be fully vaccinated and um, willing to travel right now, and not everyone is either. Yep, yep. or both. Um, last last story before we go to our bonus topic. Uh, EASA is tracking space weather. Yeah. Now, who is EASA first? The European uh, Air Aviation, the European version of the FAA. I don't remember actually what the, the acronym stands for fully. Um, I probably have it in the document if I can find it. Uh, European Union Aviation Safety Agency. Okay. Uh, much like uh, the FAA issues safety bulletins from time to time. And so a couple weeks ago, the EASA issued a safety bulletin entitled The Effects of Space Weather on Aviation. <laughs> Uh, and I thought it was a joke, but it's the first time they've issued one in almost a decade. The last time they issued one was 2012, but they have updated it, um, and it provides information regarding, uh, <clears throat> yeah, on the effects of space weather on electronic devices, communications, navigation and surveillance services, and human beings, and should be read in conjunction with blah 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 for onboard systems. And it's talking about like. Um, the space weather are flows of energetically charged particles and electromagnetic radiation. It's they've got some really cool graphics in it too, and solar radiation. And it's what it really comes down to is it's on a, a seven year, an eleven year cycle, and the last peak was April twenty fourteen. So it's expected to start growing again in the next few years, and can have impacts on things like navigational systems. Um, hmm. 
Geomagnetic storms can have an issue um, helping with navigation. Solar flare radio blackouts uh, primarily affect uh, systems in the high frequency and very high frequency ranges, 3 to 300 megahertz. And it turns out that airplanes use those for communications, especially over water. Um, galactic cosmic rays. <laughs> Uh, it, I was reading this and like part of me wants to laugh because like what are we doing? But it, it turns out that there's like uh, yeah, radio increased solar radiation and sunspots. Um, just lots of interesting things to track. Yeah, I know that the some of the solar radiation stuff, you know, as it, it as it as it spikes every eleven years or so, um, it also increases the likelihood of seeing the aurora borealis further south. So interesting. You know, that is an upside to it, even though there are a lot of downsides. Yeah, like you know, if you fly more, you're more likely to catch cancer. It, it, exactly. Um, that <laughs> yeah uh, but anyway it's it, you know it's it's a really it's just like a weird interesting document but yes they do in fact track weather in space i guess someone's got to do it yeah so someone had to track that uh chinese rocket launch booster that went into orbit finally came back yeah. down yeah uh, <laughs> just off the maldives so uh, it'll be interesting to go scuba diving over there i guess <laughs> i don't know did you guys see there was a bunch of planes in the area when it came down Oh, I missed no. that. Did, did they, uh, so, I mean, are the Chinese going to try to recover it? Do, you, do we know? Not that I've uh, heard. Interesting. Okay. That would have been awful if it didn't hit a plane. Yeah. Um, and the, the, I think, yeah, I don't remember if it was EASA or the FAA issued some guidance like, hey, this is going to happen. Keep your eye out. And then, uh, but also, like, um, no real details. Oh, lovely. Like, we don't know where it's going to be, but uh, it's going to happen later this week, so just be careful. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you'd even be able to dodge it. I was watching it last night, and I think it was like at eighteen thousand kilometers an hour. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like that would just happen in an instant. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. Um, TCAS would go off, and that would be the end of that. You'd hear one beep, and yeah. would it though? <laughs> it would just briefly, probably. <laughs> yeah. So uh, on our bonus topic, we're going to talk about Breeze uh, hiring non-college kids as uh, flight attendants, uh, and that's going to be the topic. So if you are a Patreon subscriber, you can uh, just hang on, and it'll be there shortly. Uh, if you're not a Patreon subscriber and want to hear that, you can you can support us on Patreon. Uh, but again, we're, we're happy to have all of our supporters, even those that don't support via Patreon, uh, all of our listeners. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Dots Lines, more dots, more lines.com. Thanks for listening, and uh, happy travels. Take care. See you later.